Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. At Bright Vibe, we believe everyone deserves to be happy. But in today's world, everywhere you turn, there is division and negativity. At Bright Vibe, we have created a global movement to bring 8 million people together who are inspired to live bright, live bold, and share bright vibes. Alone, it can be hard to change, but together we can change the world. Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. So Matthew Zachary, healthcare advocate. That's what I'm going to call you today. Healthcare, extreme healthcare advocate. How about that? Matthew Zachary, welcome to the show today. I will allow it. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> you know, sarcasm to me is just like a warm blanket. So I think I'm going to feel good at the end of this podcast today. I think so. The, um, I love my mom. <laughs> I'd like she to meet. well. Is that right? So you're the founder of an award-winning, it says not profit. I'm reading your bio, Stupid, it's called Stupid Cancer, which I do want to talk about. And then you're also the CEO and co-founder of Off Script Health. And I want to talk about both of those today, but I obviously want to talk about anything you want to talk about as well, because I am certainly um, in alignment with we have to be our own best advocates when it comes to healthcare, right? Nobody's going to look out for your health like yourself, right? Or nobody has a vested interest like you do. Is that fair enough to say? <laughs> typically that is the case where you're, I don't know if you're, you're R rated here, but you're, you're typically screwed in general by default in life. And you have to hope that, uh, chemistry, physics, and chaos are in your favor. Yes, yes, yes. And, and so, you know, too often I've seen, I, so I, as I was telling you in pre-show, I have a healthcare background, not, I'm not a physician, uh, thank goodness for anybody that I would be, that would be my patient. But, um, you know, I do have healthcare facilities, senior care uh, specifically, and you can really tell, um, people have better outcomes when they're engaged in their, in their health. There's no other way to say it. It doesn't matter if they're taking meds, not taking, I mean, no matter what, if you're engaged in your health, uh, or in your care, you're, you're typically always going to have better outcomes. If nothing else, it just reduces anxiety and stress of what's to come. Just n understanding what's happening. Yeah. I mean, everything's always in theory. I I'm always on the underdog side of things in the sense that, um, raised as a Jew, you typically have what I call like congenital chutzpah. You know, <laughs> you're just born with this, this spunky, take no prisoners, you know, go fuck yourself perspective. Right. But not everyone has that. And is it fair to conflate that just be your own advocate is fair to a population of people that come from various different cultures and perspectives and attitudes and, and zip codes? Mm -hmm. They don't even know what's possible to be their own advocate. So who right. is their surrogate right. that could hopefully be there for that? No one's going to deny that being your own, standing up for yourself, knowing what's right for you. It, it's so it's it's cloudy, 
but it's also very individualized and it's right. specific to what's wrong with you as well. Right, of course. And so, so your organizations typically, it sounds like support people in that process. Like if, if, if I just found out I had cancer, there's information, there's community, there's access to resources so that I can start at least understanding how to be my own advocate. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think by 2022 parlance, I ran crisis nonprofits, <laughs> but back, you know, 19 years ago, they would just go, we're trying to help you not be alone and make your experience right. suck a lot less. Right. That was 2022, Right. you know, uh, cancer loneliness and cancer, uh, back when we were victims and all mm -hmm. these other, mm -hmm. you know, uh, sort of, uh, stoic antediluvian ways of thinking about quality of life. Got it. Okay. And so is that what stupid cancer is? So tell me about stupid cancer and what exactly that is. So I was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer in 1996. Spoiler alert, they were wrong. Best misdiagnosis ever. And so literally you I were like, misdiagnosed. You did not, you, they diagnosed you with cancer, but you didn't have cancer. No, no, I actually had actual oh. brain cancer, but they thought I'd be dead in six months. Oh, gotcha. Got it, got it. Okay. No, there was some bad crap in my head, believe me or not. You know, that was definitely there. Mm -hmm. It definitely needed surgery, definitely the radiation. Got it. And I was 21. I was supposed oh, to go gosh. to college, grad school and... I was a concert pianist. I was going to study with Hans Zimmer and I had this whole, whole future for myself. I, I might've been really happy back then because I didn't right. know what was wrong with me. Right. And then, you know, life turns on a dime. All this crap happened. I couldn't go to grad school. I wound up rehabbing myself playing piano over five years, but I fell into advertising as a plan B. Mm. And I worked in advertising for 10 years, but along the way, I finally met someone who had cancer in their twenties, mm -hmm. you know, Bonus was he also had cancer, brain cancer. Oh, wow. And he was bald and Jewish and went to my college. <laughs> you guys were so twins somehow. The nichest of ni <laughs> niche, niche, niche markets. Right. But he's the one that kind of woke me up and asked me, how'd you like to be a cancer advocate? And I said, what the hell's a cancer advocate? Like, right. No one put those words together back then. Like, advocate was like the, the gay advocate magazine was the oh, 90s. Gotcha. That's all we knew, the, the HIV crisis. Mm -hmm. The advocate was the magazine. And like, gotcha. there was no cancer advocates. It was the AIDS advocates. Right. And it was a whole different way to think about, you know, what could make my life, what could have made my life, my decisions, my empowerment, my experience better mm -hmm. or less crappy. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of like my, my, um, you know, man behind the curtain moment where I got introduced to this, I don't know, this cottage industry of, of, of policymakers in D.C. on which a board he sat of a very powerful lobby group. And that kind of sucked me into this whole, I can do more than just, you know, fix computers. It's <laughs> right. amazing. Mm -hmm. And I started to give piano concerts to cancer patients. I started getting involved oh. in policy work. And eventually I realized that I wanted to start a nonprofit, unbeknownst to me. I, you know, in hindsight, <laughs> I sort of maybe spent a little more time researching Studying what that, that meant. Yeah, yes. But it was off the heels of your listeners, um, your viewers may remember the heyday of Livestrong, the Lance Armstrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, with the yellow, you know, pre, yellow pre wristbands. And, yeah, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. um, but what they stood for was the first time there was really ever like a quality of life, mm -hmm. not a cure and research perspective right. on cancer. And that's what in, inspired me to start a nonprofit that was reflective of who I was because I didn't see me mm. in any of these other organizations at the time. I didn't see I was not athletic, fat Jewish white guys, but it was really more like Gen X. Right. It was really more like you're either for little kids because no one wants babies with cancer 
or you're for geezers. And right. all hail the geezers, they're great, but there was nothing in the middle that spoke to Gen X. Right. Millennials were like middle school back then. So this is really a Gen X thing. Sure. So Stupid Cancer was like the first Gen X cancer community hmm. that was ever formed around just being a specific age, not a specific type of cancer. Got it. Um, and I, I, in the, Steve Jobs has been a hero of mine. Mm-hmm. And one of his greatest quotes when he released the iPod 20 years ago last year was never give someone what they wanted. You give them what they never knew they needed. Right. And I created the organization I wished I had that wound up helping millions of people over the 14 years of my tenure there. Mm -hmm. And it, it, I, I, entrepreneurship, whatever, I, I built it in a way that listened to what Gen Xers wanted from the cancer support world that didn't exist. And honestly, the first thing they wanted was they wanted to go out the bars and be balled together drunk. Hmm. You know, by today's standards, that maybe hasn't aged well as a behavioral tactic. Right. But that's what we, we need this. We needed the steam valve release right. of not sitting in the circle, crying our tears out in a way that made us feel pitied and, and ugly. Right. And uh, the first program of this organization was called the Stupid Cancer Happy Hour. Hmm. And we just organized like, Back when meetup.com yeah. wasn't yeah, yeah. even a thing. This is right. pre-internet, just for context. Like right. 07. And just listening to what the community really wanted from the first ever organization that took a national stance on, I mean, entitlement's a bad word. Everything's a bad word these days. You know, what, what do we deserve <laughs> when shit happens to you that you didn't ask for when you're 22 or 30 or 35 or 17? Right. And just to wrap that up in the button, what got me started behind the mic here mm -hmm. is I had the first live, like live radio show in healthcare hmm. in 2007 mm -hmm. called the stupid cancer show, mm -hmm. which if you missed it, you missed it. <laughs> right, <laughs> like how you had to wait 30 years to watch friends again. You missed it. But that brought together such a huge audience mm -hmm. that wanted to, talk about their stories and say what their grievances are and very festivist like, you know, communities of, of, of aggrieved people that just wish this was a little better. And what could we do? That's the origin of starting to be cancer. Mm -hmm. And it was an absolute, like talk about happiness and joy. It was a, just the greatest gift mm -hmm. to grow that organization to millions of people, um, to millions of listeners, to thousands of conference, thousands of events and trade shows and, road trips and all sorts of stunts and fabulous, like just in your face, no pink ribbon crap. So authentic, so raw. Mm -hmm. And um, we got to pass legislation that helped me. Like it was just, my God, yeah, what a difference right. it was um, that this organization, with, 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 we had like 170 other partners. Still, we, we're not alone. Right. This was a massive shared community of organizations and policy groups and research groups and hospitals and even some of the pharma companies and some of the retail companies were really invested in making cancer equitable for everyone. And at that time, that mostly meant Gen Xers. Mm -hmm. And the progress then revealed, oh, there's all these other people that we've been ignoring, and rightfully so. And now we're, I mean, I stepped down, but they're verily, verily, <laughs> I think this is pre-tape, but either way, they're very dedicated to populations that have been marginalized and undermined right. for the last hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's become a real movement. Hmm.
And so, so, and so it still survives today post your exit or did you exit completely or just time, you know, time for you oh, to I, I go tore on. the bandage off. It was really important to exit mm-hmm. right. the right way. Yep. Most people exit the wrong way, right. whether it's a nonprofit or a private sector company, it's very hard to exit the right way. Mm-hmm. We were very strategic about it. The new leadership took hold. Her name is Allison. She's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, she's running an incredible ship now. I'm volunteering for them, raising money for them. Oh, nice. And the legacy lives on. It's no longer who I am or what I do. It's the impact. Right. Yep. And it's so, it's so cool that you were able to step out, you know, to, and to your point, I, you know, exiting, uh, especially a for-profit, but I'm assuming a not-for-profit too. A lot of times there's ego in that and there's identity in that. And to your point, a lot of times the exit doesn't go well because people are so wrapped up in it and it's got to be my way because it's always been that way. Right. And, and for right. something to evolve, you, you gotta, if, if you want it to be healthy, a lot of times you got to get out of the way, right? Get out of, get out yeah. of the way of the growth of the organization, no matter what kind of organization it is when it's, um, yeah, when it's that season and that time. So, so you went from there, um, to then starting off script health, or was that already going at that point? Well, I, I took a about, I exited, I'm oh, sorry. I exited, mm-hmm. uh, January, 2019. Okay. Got it. And I took a year off. Good for you. To figure out what to do with myself. Yeah. At the time, I was getting speaking engagements and playing piano and giving concerts, and that was kind of like the living I was making. Mm-hmm. But the one chunk of feedback I kept getting, because I kind of did a bit of a prairie home companion tour around the country. Mm-hmm. I visited some friends and had meetings and dinners oh, nice. and breakfasts and all sorts of stuff. Beautiful. Um, I mean, relationships are really important to me. I hope they're really mm-hmm. important to your listeners. Maintaining the ones that matter to you and that are whether the two-way or one-way streets, it's your determination or their value to you in the people you keep trusting, in the people you hold trust in and hold trust in you ideally. And the, the, the overwhelming consensus of my friends and peers was the one thing I, I, I couldn't take with me in exiting Stupid Cancer, which was the radio show, which they had to sunset because i was the host and you oh, can't, gotcha. like replace me for the host so like everybody's like get back behind a mic and scream as loud as you can but make money this time I was like, <laughs> okay <laughs> i will figure that out right um so the original idea of this company was npr for healthcare in the mm-hmm. private sector mm-hmm. that there needed to be news media and journalism and targeted content that wasn't about hitting everyone but hitting the right people and having purpose attached to it and humanity and empathy attached to it because healthcare communications suck mm-hmm. because they're run by lawyers and they're run by, uh, I don't know, regulatory committees and commissions and the FDA and everything is just so horrible mm-hmm. that the nonprofits have it right. If they can do it right, like stupid cancer does like groups like the leukemia, lymphoma, they have good messaging. They're trustworthy, but take all of that outside, all the commercials, all the ads that pop up, like why the hell are there bathtubs on a hill? for a drug about rheumatoid arthritis. What does that have to do with anything? That doesn't speak to the 34-year-old woman who's trying to manage her motherhood with her kids with Mm -hmm. RA. It doesn't speak empathy. These ads have become my bête noire. Mm -hmm. So this idea of creating better content for people that never wanted to have to listen to it. Right. Find a hope in a community in the way they would find the nonprofits. Mm -hmm. And then channel those listeners to better activities and support structures and financial assistance programs and co-pay assistance programs where top of the funnel 
for consumer advocacy and patient advocacy is listenership. Old school media, mm -hmm. NPR for healthcare and the private sector. And that was the sapling mm -hmm. idea behind this company. Very interesting. And so how does those, how do those messages then for, for people tuning in, how do those messages get across now? So do you have a, a website? Is, obviously you're behind the mic, so I know, and I know you're a podcaster, but kind of how, what, how are, how are you um, disseminating that information or getting that out? Right. So there's four businesses within the company. Mm -hmm. The first one is the NPR model or the, uh, the Gimlet model. Okay. We are a network of multiple podcasters. Mm -hmm. We are creating new shows or acquiring ex existing podcasters who have a phenomenal audiences and very niche disease states. Mm -hmm. We currently have a show called FUMS, which stands for Fuck You Multiple Sclerosis, which is the number two <laughs> multiple sclerosis podcast. We have a show called The Cycle on Endometriosis, which is a young woman's uh, sort of a preventative peer-to-peer -peer support podcast, number one endo show in the country. We have a Femtech leadership podcast called hearts of healthcare we have a a physician culture humor podcast called mm -hmm. is it serious which is like a kitchen confidential meets abana costello for doctor culture and gen xers very mm -hmm. unique mm -hmm. very funny they make fun of pharma ads on every episode <laughs> and we're constantly building and acquiring we you know the the top podcast in parkinson's the top podcast in black cancer the top podcast in cystic fibrosis mm. that's the network we are building mm -hmm. where together our voices are collectively louder but we all share the equity of the audiences right that's part one that's absolutely critical to build the the pointillist painting if you would of multiple talented hosts and incubate them curate them accelerate them so that their audiences grow their messages grow and there's a unified professional sound mm -hmm. across the network the second part of the company is we do large-scale social justice docu audio documentary series, like a slow burn or serial. On public health efforts and public health disparities, we released a documentary last year called The Cancer Mavericks, which is a 50-year history of cancer advocacy mm -hmm. that's never been told as a history series, first and foremost, and then a human interest series, second. Mm -hmm. And then it's a policy series, third. It's been listened to over 350,000 times. It's available wherever people can listen to podcasts. It's something you would expect from uh, This American Life. Mm -hmm. We brought on a great team from Slate that did it for us. We're working on four documentaries now on a, the Cancer Mavericks of Infertility Rights, which is way more timely these days than it ever was, mm -hmm. and a documentary on rural health access to care in mm -hmm. smaller towns around America. The history of the pharmacists, and what that stands for in terms of drugstore, literal drugstore psychology and decision-making when it's difficult to get authentic conversations happening in small areas that have mom-and-pop pharmacists. And we're doing a documentary called Hippocrates Shrugged, which is on physician culture and suicide, mm. skinned against the chokehold that insurance companies have on doctors. Mm -hmm. So that's the second part of the company. Right. The third part is we build podcasts for companies that want to do it right. So if there is a corporation that wants to build a podcast about mental health or empathy, that's product-based show. Sure, we'll, we will do it in a way that doesn't make it look like it's a corporation Got making it. that show. Mm -hmm. And the fourth product is we launch shows very, for very specific niche patient audiences, audiences that may be 2000 Americans. Wow. Where the goal of it is to specifically hit those people. And we do specifically hit those people 
encourage them to join a community, sign up for a mailing list and become part of this nonprofit ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And that's a very hyper niche, super one-off targeted strategy that no one's ever planned to put together before. Mm-hmm. When you're living in a rare disease or an orphan community and there's one nonprofit, how do you know they exist? Mm. And what do you need to learn? And how do you find your tribe? And what's the bigger tribe you need to be part of? So in a sense, yeah, we're kind of social justice. We're ending isolation, but we're doing it in a way that's through voice. Mm -hmm. People that sound like you, people that have been through what you're going through in a targeted way, not the pay and spray crap that's already out there that you hope people listen to. Very long answer to a question, but we developed this over three and a half years to be this multifaceted, interdisciplinary, integrated agency. I love it. I love it. I love the fact that you're um, connecting people. I, I, I think with any, as, as, a, as a human being, I know there's 7 billion of us, roughly a little more on the face <laughs> of the earth, but as a human being, I know that there's nothing that's more um, painful and detrimental to mental health than feeling isolated or alone when you're dealing with tough stuff, right? When the shit hits the fan and, you, and, you're, and you're trying to do it on your own. And so, you know, for the listeners and the viewers, it doesn't matter what you have, if it's a health condition or any other condition, there's somebody on the planet that can give you some support and help and feedback because they've been through it too. And it sounds like that you're just really getting that niched, especially in healthcare, where it's so critical, right? Because when when there's nothing worse, you know, I had COVID, we went on vacation here a couple of weeks ago and we came back and of course we traveled through the airports and we brought back that really fun uh, illness called COVID. And so we passed that around <laughs> at my house uh, between my wife and I, and then the kids and, and uh, you know, when you feel sick, you just don't feel like doing anything. Right. And that was just COVID right. that was, and it was just annoyance. It was just a cold and a fever and yeah. tired and that, and, and I'm, but you know, when you actually have my mom, as I was sharing in pre-show, just um, went into remission from cancer. And she was ecstatic, right? Because it was consuming her life, right? I mean, it was yeah. consuming every waking moment was about, am I going to live another five or 10 years, um, if that? And the doctors are, you know, kind of saying, maybe, maybe not. And so, and then for her to go on into, I won't call it spontaneous remission, but it was almost spontaneous remission, you know, she called, she said, I don't even really have words for this. She said, I know I'm excited. I know I'm happy. I know I'm relieved. She said, I just don't ever remember being this happy. <laughs> I was like, right. Well, that's a good thing. <laughs> you know, and, it and, is a good thing. and, and so I know how c- consuming it is, uh, you know, and, and for the most part, you know, she was, she had some sisters who had cancer, so she had people that she could go to and felt supported and felt connected with. But, you know, I I think there's a lot of people out there to your point, especially in these micro niche, uh, disease, uh, disease, um, states that, that probably don't know where to go and who do you talk to and without community, it's just, it's so much harder. I think, I mean, is that what you, I mean, I'm sure founding these two organizations, I'm sure that's, you see that over and over, right? Well, back in the day, we called it psychosocial. Now it's mental health. So psychosocial was the academic way of saying, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to hate yourself and you're going to be angry and pissed off and how do you improve whatever you can. And psychosocial well-being was one of the first data points analyzed by the, the researchers going back to cancer survivorship, mm-hmm. which is the more isolated you feel, the poorer your outcomes. Right. Sounds obvious and logical, like a nice flow chart today, but no, we didn't even have the data to support that. It was all assumptions. Right. right. And one of the nice things we came up with, um, not not everyone wants to talk to somebody right away. Mm-hmm. 
They don't want to be, but knowing they're there right. improves quality of life without engaging with them in the first place. Another great data point was just knowing you're not alone right. without necessarily taking advantage of not being alone right. is just as valuable as taking advantage of those communities. So the whole when you're ready to engage, here are the people, you know, engaging people in moments of crisis, you know, you're in crisis. The last thing you want you know, is to search for someone like you immediately. Some people may want that, but most people just want to they have to process, process it. Yeah, sure. Right. And then, by the way, here's a crowd of people that totally will, will hold your hand and walk you through it like handrails when you're ready to engage them. Mm. That's the challenge of all healthcare communications mm. is they're targeting people in crisis. I'm talking like, I'm not talking like your eyelids are too short or, you know, you <laughs> got bumps. Or this right. isn't like some... This is like for death stuff. Yeah. I mean, there are some serious chronic diseases and we're not going to take that away from anybody but crisis stuff mm -hmm. real crisis stuff and or or life conditions you just like psoriasis is terrible mm -hmm. what people have to go through with that ms is terrible if not treated correctly endo has no treatments whatsoever you know it's, it's not a scale of which one is worse or scarier but you can be in crisis in any form that you happen to have the last thing you want is to watch a dog on a sled in right. the winter for a drug that you should be on. Right. So this notion of empathy and community and trust through like radio mm -hmm. just doesn't exist. And that's the, the idea of ending isolation by hearing someone that sounds like you instead of a, a, a poster someone thinks is someone that looks like you. Right. It, it's a better way like to, to help even the nonprofits to help them find the people with a level of trust and empathy to make them aware mm -hmm. that when you're ready, we're here, we got you. Right. That connection and that authenticity. Right. I mean, and I think, yeah. you know, I think we're seeing that so much more post this weirdness that we've been through over the last two and a half, three years is, is I, you know, people are, and I'll count myself in there. People are sick of kind of trying to, you know, being sold something or the BS or the gloss or the, right. It's like, no, right. actually tell me what it actually is and what it actually mm -hmm. does. And right. I mean, I want to actually know, um, versus I'm, I'm, I mean, you see that and, and it's creating a hell of a lot of divisiveness also, uh, post everything we've been through, but I don't, I personally think that's a good thing because it allows everybody to start to, um, get real with where they're at and what they believe. It's hard to, to know what you believe until you see somebody that believes the opposite up in your face. And then all of a sudden you start to understand what you actually believe. I mean, there's a catalyst. Well, I, I always go back to, um, what was it? Uh, the third Indiana Jones where he chose poorly and he melts, right? You I don't wanna, remember that. It was, uh, well, well, the one with Sean Connery, the third one. Where okay. They're, like looking after the cup of Christ and the, the guy picked oh, the wrong yeah, cup yeah, yeah, and he melts. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Like you want to observe the people that did the maybe chose poorly <laughs> right. to know that you've kind of chosen the right thing. Chose wisely. So I'm always curious because I have, you know, just like you, I have fascinating guests on this show and I'm always interested in what the underlying motivation is. So you have built a not-for-profit and a for-profit that are all about communication, all about support, all about compassion, all about empathy, all about connection. Why on earth did you do that? Um, cause I'm pissed. Okay. Eternally. Okay. <laughs> I, I think being upset that things should be better. Mm -hmm. I don't mean like changing the world and peace on earth. Like that's esoterically 
existential. Mm-hmm. There are so many things that are so simple to fix. And I literally mean really simple to fix mm-hmm. that just boggle my mind that there's such uh, disingenuity and apathy and sloth and complacency that no one even wants to try to fix them. I'll give you one, one great example yeah, of this. a yeah. huge success story. So for years, mammograms were 50 years old. Mm-hmm. You had to be 50 to get a reimbursable mammogram. Gotcha. Great. That's fantastic. Breast cancer happens over 50. We started to see in the 2000s that breast cancer was happening more in 40-somethings. Mm-hmm. And it was worse in 40-somethings. So for years, Stupid Cancer, our partners, uh, Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz, led this massive push to get screenings down to 40 mm-hmm. and reimbursed by employers or just by med- whatever it is, it's mm-hmm. reimbursed, go whatever you want. And finally, once, once the Affordable Care Act passed, we were able to slot in this sub bill called the Early Act mm. into ACA. And it mandated coverage for women getting mammograms at 40. And it also mandated that the, 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 uh, the companies making the mammography machines had to update their tech for women's breast tissues that were 40 years old, which are usually mm. denser mm. than women mm-hmm. that are menopausal. Mm-hmm. And they did all that. And as a result, women are getting their first mammograms at 40, and the ones who are finding cancer, and there are many of them, a couple right. hundred a year, mm-hmm. would have died right. if we didn't get that bill passed. But the idea of having to spend eight years to get mammogram screenings down to 40 from 50, which just seems wow. so obvious. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, one of my best friends had her mammogram on her 40th birthday. It's stage two breast cancer. She's alive wow. today because we got that bill passed in 2012. That's what I'm, it shouldn't be this ridiculously stupid. Right. To do a small thing like that. Right. You know, this isn't climate change and saving. It's right. the smallest things. So that's what drives me because I know it's possible to plug small holes in the dam. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be a slow burn. Right. But that's what keeps driving me to fix little things. Well, and I, and when you say fix little things, I, uh, from my perspective, where I sit today, you're fixing things that are not so little, actually, that are the most important, which is the human, you know, emotional psyche, if you want to call it that, or the mental health or whatever name you want to put on it. But that's, yeah, that's actually a really big deal. I mean, because that is what, you know, that's what truly changes is when the collective starts to shift consciousness. That's when things happen, right? And you were able right. to drive it. You will. That's what you ultimately did to get bills introduced and get things done as you're changing the way people think about things. And then they, they go, oh, yeah, let's wait. It took eight years. Well, again, the young adult cancer movement, which was like Live Strong right. in the early days, again, a group called Critical Mass, uh, the National Coalition for Cancer. There's a litany. If you visit Offscript, um, Dot com, you see all the nonprofits we work with, and it, it's it, it, incredible relationships going back to what we talked about mm-hmm. before of just nonprofits and policy groups that are all trying to do the right thing and they just need the vitamin B shots mm-hmm. to get them done. Uh, can I say one? I'll give you one more. Yes, hill please. I'm dying on. Yeah, yeah, yes. Okay. yes. Please die on another so, hill. This is <laughs> it's another hill I'm dying on. So, esophageal cancer. Okay. Is a death. There's no stage one is better. Esophageal. Mm. You get it, you're dead. It's, oh, it. You cut your whole head open. Head, it's, right. it's, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. 
but esophageal cancer is resultant of GERD. So if you have GERD and mm-hmm. you're on all these like CVS pharmacy over the counter crap, you could develop bad GERD, mm-hmm. which is also as a jargony name called Barrett's esophagus, but bad GERD mm-hmm. predisposes the cells in your esophagus to cancer. Okay. This is known data. This is not new. There's actually a test that a gastroenterologist can give you during an endoscopy to see how bad your GERD is. Mm -hmm. And if your GERD is that bad, they put you on different medications so you never, ever, ever get esophageal cancer. The idea that that could be a test to eliminate entirely a single cancer like HPV and cervical cancer, Mm -hmm. that's astonishing. Why isn't this thing being taken more seriously? Where is the cholesterol in that artery preventing every human in this country? 50 million Americans have GERD, not at all. They're not all bad GERD. Oh, gotcha. Yep. Why can't that be a thing? Right. Where primary care asks, are you taking Zantac? (laughs) Why? Because I eat Chipotle. Okay. Well, I'm not going to tell you to stop eating Chipotle, but here's a test and not get a soft gel cancer. Right. What a great idea. Right. That's a hell to die on. Yeah. And why do you think, uh, since we're on that hill, why do you think that information like that, is, is it just the existing way that, I mean, why isn't that more, like I've never heard of that before. So why isn't it more, why isn't it easier or why isn't it? What is the problem with the communication or the dissemination of that information? I mean, is it just the system itself? Do drug companies not get paid to do it? I mean, what's what's stopping that flow? Well, the drug companies are actively vying for this to become a, a diagnosed reimbursable therapy because they'll make tons of money on it. Right. Which is perfectly fine. I'm all, I'm all in favor of drugs that actually help people getting right. FDA approved and, and put in front. And they have a huge lobby spending all this money getting these drugs approved. The challenge is always in the data and the research and the lawyers. Mm. And then, of course, even if it's there, it's still the communication down to the doctors and to the people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's no, like, don't get a selfjoecancer.com. Right. <laughs> there's, there's no, like, public health campaign saying, ask your, ask your doctor if Zantac is going to kill you. Right. right. Can't get away with that. Right. It's not going to work. Right. But th- this is what I'm saying about, like, the, the, just the, the rapt apathy in communications down to patients and doctors. It's all just so sanitized and stoic. There's no emotion because there can't be legally because God forbid you say the wrong thing and some research gets and some lawyer. Mm-hmm. The, the cholesterol is in, yes, the system, but consumers have an avenue to actually help other consumers know about these situations and then get those consumers to vote their way to these things getting passed and approved. Hmm. Very interesting. Outside the system. Out, right, right. Yes, because, I mean, being around healthcare for the last basically 20 years, there are so many things, like you, so many hills, uh, as you put it. There are well, so you're nodding many your hills. head every time I say something. Yes, right, <laughs> right yeah. There are so many hills because I see it. Every, I mean, some of the stuff that we have to do in, in the healthcare system, it's like, you know what? It would be really cool if we could just take care of the patients and not have to spend all this time, money, resources just to get paid what we, what the government's already agreed that we should get paid, but we still have to spend, I mean, so much administration on just collecting it and documenting it and doing all this stuff. And I'm just like, wouldn't the healthcare system be better off if we actually just got to take 
that same re, those same resources and apply them to the actual patient, right? But that's not the way right. the game's set up. The game is set up that for you to get paid in healthcare, you have to jump through all this stuff three or four times and justify. And, and it's like, yeah, I get that there's bad actors, but nine, the, the huge bell curve in healthcare actually wants to help people and wants to take care of people and wants to see people get healthy. And yes, you've got, but in any industry, there's going to be the five, 10, whatever percent that are frauds, that are crooks and criminals and all that. And so spend your time Mm -hmm. chasing them. That's fine. But spend your resources going after the ones that are the bad actors instead of spending, making everybody, every time something happens in healthcare, everybody then has to have a new policy and every, it's like, well, we actually take really good care of the people we have. I don't think we have to do one more thing uh, to do that. So yeah, I get, I, I appreciate um, the things that you're doing because it, it, I truly see it from the inside and it's hopefully more and more it's happening to your point outside. We've had to come up with some systems and we've come up with them things that are just about patient health and patient care that aren't, we don't get paid for, we don't get reimbursed for. It's just the right thing to do, right? It's the right, right. thing to do when you're taking care of people. So I really appreciate what you're, what you're doing. So the best way for people to find out about this though, it sounds like is to go to off script and it's without the T right off scripts, S C I P. S-C-R-I-P, yeah. I, yeah, I try yeah. to make everything difficult. Oh, sorry, R. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, people can, if you want to learn more about me, yeah. com is my, right. my homepage. Nothing fancy there. Mm-hmm. My show is called Out of Patience, mm-hmm. because we all are. And it's wherever you listen to podcasts, just out of patience. Or actually, right. I'm the only Matthew Zachary with a podcast. <laughs> so just well, that's handy. Eddie, <laughs> that's quite handy to be yeah. the only Matthew Zachary with a podcast. So just type my name wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll pop up. Right. And, uh, and that's how you hear about all my ranting and raving with great guests. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, certainly, uh, we'd love to have you come back on. I'd like to hear more just about the business model and how that works as well. I'm always fascinated by creative business models and how they work and how they, you know, how they grow and how you market those. That, that's always uh, really cool. I know you're part of our Global Happiness Summit, so I'm looking forward to visiting with you more on that. And then if we can ever be a resource for anything you're doing, especially when you're talking about some of these advocacy things, uh, please let us know so we can inform our listeners. And, you know, even if even if it doesn't necessarily directly affect them, it probably affects somebody they know. It's like if you don't, you know, even if you don't have cancer, guess what? You know people who have had cancer or will get cancer. If it's not yep. you, it's somebody in your family, it's one of your friends or something, right? we've all been affected by cancer. So, you know, just having these resources and passing them along is super important. Um, and not just for cancer in your, in your case, there's many disease, uh, diseases that you guys address and, and provide more information for. So, uh, love what you're doing and, and thank you for doing it. Matt, I appreciate it. We have, we have probably have uh, much, uh, in the black ops territory to talk about in Kaluna. <laughs> Yes, I would agree. I would totally agree. <laughs> so, so thank you so much for coming on and let's have you on uh, again in the future. We'll do. Done. It's a date. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of the Bright Vibe podcast. For more information, go to brightvibe.com. That's B R I T E vibe B I B E.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>